0: You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
2: Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show.
1: Tell me, Bill, is it true? Is what true? You've been talking to your friends in the district attorney's office again. Where is this coming from? Don't you trust me? Mabel, you know I only want what's best for you. Believe me, my past is in the past. People shouldn't be allowed to take advantage of you. I'm quite fine, thank you. Are you? I've heard that before. Maybe you'd be happier with that child. Don't be like that. I don't have time for this. My limo is waiting. Let me walk you to the car. Please, don't be mad. I'm not mad. I'm peachy, tip top. It's just that if something were to happen to you, I'd never forgive myself. Don't be so dramatic. Thank you for the book. Now I'm the dramatic one. (laughs) That's a laugh.
2: Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy.
3: And I'm Wendy McKenzie.
2: Today, we open our investigation into the death of William Desmond Taylor.
3: A giant star and prominent director from the silent movie era.
2: The murder was shocking. Not just to the film community, but to the public at large.
3: Because not only was the victim famous, but so were some of the suspects.
2: And there were a lot of suspects.
3: The movie star, the young ingenue, the stage mother, the fading actress, the valet, the chauffeur, even hitmen and drug dealers.
2: But despite all the attention and the subsequent investigation, the case still remains officially unsolved.
3: The killing of William Desmond Taylor has been called the first Hollywood murder.
2: It opened a window into the seamy underbelly of the new motion picture industry
3: and exposed something that still rings true today. In Hollywood, things are not always as they appear to be.
2: This is episode four of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, and episode one of the William Desmond Taylor case. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or any other podcast directory, as well as on our website, parcast.com.
3: That's parcast.com. Spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. And
2: make sure you don't miss anything by subscribing to the podcast. Again, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory.
3: A new episode of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, is released every other Tuesday. Don't forget to visit our Facebook page, Parcast, to join the conversation.
2: And now, to Hollywood in 1922. It was the silent film era, and the birth of a new medium had created an enormous industry from scratch.
3: Quiet on the set! Suddenly, there was a demand for actors, actresses, writers, producers, directors, every crew position imaginable.
2: And And of course, there were the studio moguls, who had all that talent under contract.
3: They were the big fish in a big pond that was only growing bigger.
2: Those at the top had become fabulously wealthy.
3: They were the internet millionaires of their day.
2: They lived in mansions with servants and were shuttled around town in limousines with drivers.
3: Stars like Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, they were making over a million dollars a year.
2: And keep in mind, a million dollars in 1922 would be worth over 14 million today.
3: And not only did they have money. But fame, too.
2: There were dozens of fan magazines dedicated to this new, glamorous form of entertainment. Not to mention, the newspapers regularly covering the comings and goings of this new aristocracy.
4: Extra! Film star stunt causes Boston riot! Get the latest on the Fatty Arbuckle trial! Exclusive interview with Charlie Chaplin!
2: The public couldn't get enough. And in this world, William Desmond Taylor was close to the top. An actor who had appeared in 27 films the director of 59 silent movies, a man so well-liked around town that he was chosen to be the head of the Motion Picture Directors Association.
3: But who was William Desmond Taylor? Hmm.
2: William Desmond Taylor arrived in Hollywood in December of 1912 and began working immediately as an actor.
1: Sure, I'm just a glorified extra in this picture, but just you wait and see.
3: He had roles in The Sins of the Father, The Brute, How God Came to Sunny Boy, I love these old movie names. Tainted Money, The Criminal Code, An Eye for an Eye. I could go on.
2: Please don't.
3: His most prominent role may have been as the lead in Captain Alvarez.
2: Soon, he was no longer just working in front of the camera. In 1914, he made the step up to director on the film The Awakening.
1: Let's go back to one, still rolling.
3: And moved on to such fare as The Diamond from the Sky. He fell in love with his wife, The Parson of Panamint, the...
2: Okay, we get it. In July of 1918, towards the end of World War I, Taylor enlisted in the Canadian Expeditionary Force.
3: Remember, at that time, Canada was still part of the British Empire.
2: When Taylor joined the CEF, he was a 46-year-old private.
3: Which was certainly unusual.
2: But we can only assume his service was honorable, as he was promoted twice during his time in the military. First to lieutenant, then to major
3: then with the war over after tours of duty in britain and france he returned to civilian life
2: indeed on may 14, 1919 taylor was welcomed back to hollywood with a banquet hosted by the motion pictures directors association at the los angeles athletic club
1: great to have you back bill you think i'm crazy but i miss the smell of a soundstage
3: so he was obviously respected by his fellow directors
2: after his return, he would go on to direct some of the leading stars of the day, including Mary Pickford, as well as his protege, Mary Miles Minter.
3: That's quite a name. Mary Miles Minter.
2: Mm, and one worth remembering, as we will be coming back to her later. If Taylor was known for anything as a director, it was a pleasant sophistication.
3: And his work included the first adaption of Huckleberry Finn as well as an adaption of Anne of Green Gables.
2: Which starred Mary Miles Minter. There's that name again. Between the years 1914 and 1919, Taylor was engaged to actress Neva Gerber, who he met on the set of the first film he directed, The Awakening.
3: Which shows you that's been happening since the start of the film business, a director romancing one of his leading ladies.
2: Or perhaps a leading lady falling for her director.
3: You're suggesting she was more in love than him? That would explain being engaged for five years without getting married.
2: But even without the walk down the aisle, never Gerber had only good things to say about William Desmond Taylor. When asked to describe him, she said,
1: He was the soul of honor, a man of personal culture, education, and refinement. I've never known a finer or better man.
2: Still, even for his fame and fortune and impressive resume, as well as the esteem of his peers, William Desmond Taylor might not be remembered today, but for a fateful February night.
3: February 1st, 1922.
2: When the then 49-year-old director, spending a quiet evening at his bungalow in the exclusive Westlake District of Los Angeles, met his sudden and untimely end.
4: Mystery gunman kills film director Taylor. Read all about it. Los Angeles Examiner. It seems as if everyone who knew Taylor or could in any fashion be connected with the case has been interrogated at least a half a dozen times. The police and the fame-seeking district attorney of the California metropolis apparently have questioned persons who had no more to do with Taylor's murder than the residents of the Canary Islands.
2: During his rise to power and prominence in Hollywood, William Desmond Taylor was introduced to many of the characters who would end up being suspects in his death.
1: First, and above all,
2: there was Mabel Normand.
1: How do you want me to play this? Just do your thing, Mabel. We'll be here with the camera to catch it.
2: One of the leading comic actresses of the day.
3: Think Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lawrence, and Jennifer Gardner, all rolled into one.
2: She was a major box office draw. (laughs) Sometimes called the female Charlie Chaplin. And her pictures were wildly successful. Mabel Normand had a close relationship with William Desmond Taylor. She was one of his favorite stars, and they both shared a fondness for literature.
3: Were they lovers?
2: It's not clear, but those who knew Taylor say he was deeply in love with her. And because she visited Taylor on the night of February 1st, she was the last person who saw him alive.
3: So naturally, she's going to be a focus of the investigation.
2: Then there was Mary Miles Minter, who we've already mentioned,
3: a teenage actress. Think Chloe Grace Moritz mixed with Elle Fanning with a side of Bella Thorne.
1: Mr. Taylor, thanks for casting me in Anne of Green Gables. The part was made for you, Mary. This is sure to be a wonderful picture. That fills me with all the confidence in the world.
2: At the age of five, Mary accompanied her sister Margaret on an audition because no babysitter was available. The director noticed her and gave her the part, beginning a stage career that led all the way to Broadway.
1: Come on, everybody. It'll be swell.
0: (laughs) We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
3: Now, our story continues. In
2: 1912, she made her screen debut in the one reel short, The Nurse, under the name Juliet Minter.
3: Not Mary Miles?
2: Not yet. See, to avoid child labor laws while appearing on stage as a 10-year-old in Chicago, her mother obtained the birth certificate of her elder sister's deceased daughter in Louisiana and officially changed the actress's name from Juliet to Mary Miles. In her film career, the name change to Mary Miles took place with her second film, a five reel feature called The Fairy and the Waif.
3: And who might this manipulative stage mother be?
2: That would be
3: Charlotte Shelby. Think Lindsay Lohan's mother Dina with a touch of Kris Jenner.
1: No, we're not doing that. Mary Miles only works for the directors that I approve.
2: The domineering Charlotte Shelby was herself a Broadway actress in her youth and managed the careers of her two daughters, Mary Miles Minter, Margaret Shelby.
3: So she was the original
1: momager. I want the same deal as Mary Pickford. You're not cheating us on this one.
2: Not only was she a force to be reckoned with, but she might have been the one person who did not get along with the affable Taylor. Charlotte, dear, we need Mary on the set.
1: Don't you dear me. She comes to the set when I say she's ready. But we're losing the light. Listen here, Mr. Taylor. I know she's just another flower in your vase, but she's my daughter, and I'm here to protect her.
3: So you're saying the stage mother and the director were at odds?
2: Maybe it was more than that. Meaning? There's speculation Charlotte tried to have a relationship with Taylor, and he rebuffed her.
3: That would explain the bad blood.
2: And even worse, her daughter seemed to be infatuated with Taylor.
3: Were Taylor and Minter romantically involved?
2: At this point, we don't know. But after Taylor was found killed, a search turned up love letters from Mary Miles Minter, along with a pink nightgown monogrammed MMM.
3: Hmm, sounds like something was going on.
2: Some people think it was mutual. Others say she just had a huge crush on the director that was unrequited. Either way, here was a clear rival to Charlotte Shelby.
3: For her daughter's affection.
2: And for her money. Mary Miles was turning 18, and as an adult, she would be entitled to her own earnings.
3: So that's three characters in the story. The leading lady, the ingenue, the stage mom.
2: All with motives traceable to love or money. And all were at Taylor's house around the time of his death. So they had opportunity.
3: The suspect list is getting crowded.
2: But wait, there's more. While Taylor was working as an actor, he made four films with Margaret Gibby Gibson.
1: Hey, Bill. Gibby! I haven't seen you since we did The Kiss. Nice to know I'll be working with a pro. The pleasure's all mine, Gibby. All mine.
3: So she worked with Taylor years ago. Well, how does that make her a person of interest?
2: There will be more to her story later, but for now, it's enough to know she had a connection with a director that went back years. Uh, Let's move on to chauffeur Howard Fellows. Bring the car
1: around, Howard. Right away, sir. Where are we going? To the Ambassador Hotel. Absolutely, sir. And we'll be picking up Miss Normand all the way. Howard Fellows had called Taylor
2: and gone to his bungalow on the night of the murder, but couldn't make contact.
3: Because presumably, Taylor was already dead.
2: But, as with everything in this case, there were questions.
3: Such as?
2: What exactly did Howard see at the apartment? And who did he tell? Because his brother worked for Paramount Studios, the studio that had William Desmond Taylor under contract.
3: Could he have tipped off the studio before the police were notified?
2: That's a great question, and one that the investigators would soon be asking themselves. Finally, there is Taylor's valet, Henry Peavy.
1: You want me to draw you a bath, sir? Uh, Yes, uh, Henry, and do you have my white shirt?
3: Cleaned and pressed, sir. Really? With all these possible suspects, you're going to try to convince me that the butler did it?
2: Henry Peavy was the person who found Taylor's body the morning after he was killed.
3: So naturally, the police are going to want to talk to him. But is there more to the story?
2: Possibly. Three days before Taylor's murder, Peavy had been arrested for social vagrancy and being lewd and dissolute.
3: What does that mean?
2: I believe it's code for being homosexual. And Taylor was scheduled to testify on Peavy's behalf on February 2nd. Which he couldn't do because he was killed the night before. And Peavy wasn't even the only houseman who was suspicious. He had only been working for Taylor for six months.
3: And before that?
2: Taylor employed a man named Edward Sands.
3: Edward Sands.
2: Another name worth remembering, because his employment with the director did not end well. And that, along with his subsequent actions, brought Sands under suspicion.
4: The Los Angeles record. Taylor, the man, was for business first. There was no mistaking that part of his nature. His tiny mahogany desk, which was placed against the front of the house, was littered with letters, canceled checks and bills. That he lived to himself was noted by the many personal things that surrounded him. He was a man of modest taste. Even though he was rich and his house luxuriously furnished, there was no sign of extravagance, gaudiness, or show about his abode.
2: In July of 1921, William Desmond Taylor was on a trip to Europe when someone broke into his house and stole money, clothes, and wrecked his expensive sports car. Taylor knew right away who the culprit was. It's Sands. It was his valet and houseman, Edward Sands. Taylor immediately notified the police.
1: Yes, officer. I know who did this.
2: And there was a warrant issued for the arrest of Edward Sands.
3: So the police picked him up?
2: No, because Sands conveniently disappeared.
3: Disappeared?
2: As in, the police couldn't find him. He was in the wind. Then on December 4th, 1921...
3: Five months later...
2: There was another break-in at Taylor's house. And this time, Sands took $1,700 worth of jewelry and pawned it in Stockton.
3: Wait, how did they know it was Sands?
2: Because he mailed the pawn stub to Taylor.
3: That's bizarre.
2: Was he just taunting him? Even more bizarre, the pawn stub was in the name of William Dean Tanner...
3: Who's William Dean Tanner?
2: We don't know. But did this name mean something to William Desmond Taylor? Did it? Well, let's assume it did. Why would his former valet be sending a message that only Taylor would understand?
3: Perhaps a form of blackmail.
2: That seems like a very good guess. But what exactly did Edward Sands know about his former employer?
3: And how valuable was this information to William Taylor?
2: And most importantly, was the secret... Something that could end up getting Taylor killed.
3: We'll return to our story in just a moment.
0: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
2: Now, the story
4: continues. The Los Angeles record. Taylor had a premonition that death was near and related his fear to Mrs. J.M. Berger, income tax expert. Quote, If anything happens, he told her yesterday afternoon, look out for my affairs. Unquote.
2: The burglaries were not William Desmond Taylor's only worries. It appears that he was being tormented by a mysterious intruder or intruders.
3: You mean Edward Sands. Beyond that,
2: Sands was certainly a nuisance, but Taylor told a friend that he feared unknown persons were invading his apartment when he was away.
3: Why would he say that?
2: Because when he came home once, he found muddy footprints on his bed. Ew. And one time, the prowler stole his cigarettes and smoked one on his porch.
3: How did he know that?
2: Taylor smoked an exclusive brand of gold-tipped cigarettes. His entire stock had been taken, there was a gold-tipped stub lying on his front step.
3: And did he know who was responsible?
2: If he did, he wasn't saying. Taylor confided to one neighbor that he thought he was being stalked. Several nights, his phone rang.
1: Hello? Hello? Is anyone there?
2: Only to find no one on the other end. He thought it might be the intruder, checking to see if anyone was home.
3: Right, so he could break in if the house was empty.
2: There were also reports of unwanted visitors lurking about the house.
4: Henry, do you see them out there? Who, sir? They're out
1: there, walking around. Why don't you carry your gun? Somebody is liable to walk up those stairs when you're in your bedroom and hold you up. No, he won't. I keep my gun on the Bureau, and if I hear anyone walking up those stairs and he doesn't answer when I call him, he's a goner. Who were these men?
3: And what did they want with William Taylor?
2: One theory tied back to what Taylor had done 18 months before. Which was? He had gone to the district attorney and talked to him about breaking up the drug trafficking that was going on in Hollywood.
3: Why would he do that? Just as a concerned, good citizen?
2: Well, he was certainly anti-drug, but he had a personal interest. He had seen how the scourge of addiction had affected the woman he loved, Mabel Normand.
3: Mabel was into
2: drugs? Evidently, she had developed a cocaine dependency while working on her earlier films.
3: Hollywood. Everyone's got a secret.
2: And those secrets can be costly. At one point, Mabel was allegedly being blackmailed for $2,000 a month.
3: Two grand a month?
2: Which is a lot of money now. And back then, it was more than twice the average annual income.
3: But was Mabel Norman still using?
2: It's not clear. Um, But maybe William Taylor was thinking back to his
1: discussions with the DA. Bill, we're doing all we can. We need to clean this up. These are bad men. I know that, but this is tough work. I'm offering my assistance. You know I have your back. We need to get these folks out of town or behind bars. I hear you, Bill.
2: Had William Desmond Taylor ticked off the wrong people?
3: And what would they do to get their revenge?
4: Los Angeles Examiner. Mrs. J.K. Lawrence, who also lives at the Alvarado Street entrance, said, quote, There are so many automobiles passing here all the time, and their backfire explosions are so similar to a pistol shot that we have gotten so we pay no attention to them whatever. I have no recollection of hearing anything that sounded like a shot at any particular time during the evening in which the shooting occurred. But I might have heard a dozen such sounds without feeling the slightest alarm, unquote.
2: And so we're back. To that fateful February night in 1922. Early in the evening, Mabel Norman was at the home of William
1: Desmond Taylor. Don't you trust me? Mabel, you know I only want the best for you. Believe me, my past is in the past. People shouldn't be allowed to take advantage of you. I'm quite fine, thank you.
3: Were they arguing about her drug use? And was that
2: weighing on Taylor's mind?
3: Was the personal situation between Mabel and William and Mary Miles Minter coming to a head? Maybe you'd be happier with that child.
2: Don't be like that. Was Mary's mother Charlotte Shelby ready to assert the ultimate control over her daughter's life and career?
1: I'm not gonna let them walk over me, that's for damn
3: sure. Or was this just the night when someone decided to remedy a personal or professional affront from the celebrated director?
2: What we know for sure is that sometime after Mabel Norman drove off, a murderer showed up at the Alvarado Court's apartments, or perhaps had even been lying in wait.
3: And despite Taylor's claims that he could handle any intruder with dispatch, he was caught by surprise. Oh!
2: Later that night, when the driver Howard Fellow showed up to check on his boss,
3: there was a knock at the door. Mr. Taylor, it's Howard. Mr. Taylor? But there would be no answer.
4: The New York Morning Telegraph. The search, if one can call it a search, being made for the slayer of motion picture director Taylor in Los Angeles is getting on the nerves of everybody. And the police should either produce the killer or turn the job of hunting for him over to competent persons.
2: Join us next time when the valet Henry Peavy makes his grim discovery.
4: Mr. Taylor? What are you doing on the floor? Oh my
2: god! And reflects on the death of the person he called the most wonderful man I ever worked
4: for. I wish I could get the man that did it. I'd go to jail for the rest of my life if I could get to him. Plus chaos ensues at the crime scene. What are we
3: looking for?
1: You'll know it when you see it. Just toss it on the fire. These photos? Burn it!
3: Burn
2: it all! And the police face questions about their investigation. Chief,
1: how do you respond to the accusation that you've hopelessly bungled the case?
3: we learn more secrets about the women in Taylor's life.
1: Dearest, I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours always, Mary.
3: And that they weren't the only ones keeping secrets.
1: How did you find out
2: about that? Who told you? Because in the world of Hollywood.
1: Cut. Could we get more makeup on her? It doesn't look right
2: there is always a difference between illusion and reality. Don't worry, we won't see that on camera. And maybe somewhere in that difference lies the answer to our questions.
1: Settle everyone, let's bring the magic.
3: Including the biggest mystery of all. And action. Who killed William Desmond Taylor?
2: Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory.
3: Or through our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com.
2: A new episode of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories comes out every other Tuesday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our ParCast Facebook page.
3: You can tweet us at ParCast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T Network.
2: We thank you for listening.
3: And hope you'll join us for the next installment.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm Carter Roy.
3: And I'm Wendy McKenzie.
2: We'll see you next time.
3: If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, digitally engineered by Ron Shapiro, and written by Steven Delello. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors include, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Janice Leaphart, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson.